0: Hi everyone! I'm thrilled to have Jeffrey Marshall with us today to discuss his latest novel, Squeeze Plays. It's a gripping tale that dives deep into the opulent and often treacherous world of money and power, set against the vibrant backdrops of New York and London. As we know, every author has a story behind the books, and here's the inside scoop on our guest today. Jeffrey Marshall is a writer, novelist, and poet from Scottsdale, Arizona. He's the author of five books, including the novel Squeeze Plays. Little Miss Sure Shot, and Undetected. Undetected and Squeeze Plays were named Shelf Unbound Notable 100 Indie Books in 2020 and 2022, respectively, and Squeeze Plays also was named a Book Excellence Award winner in 2023. A retired journalist and the former editor of two national business magazines, Marshall has freelanced to more than 30 publications as varied as the New York Times, High Country News, and Tail Fly Fishing magazine and his short fiction has appeared in online magazines like Bright Flash Literary Review, Aerial Chart, and Vocal.com, among others. As well, a short story he wrote took first place in the 2022 Arizona Authors Competition. You can learn more about Jeffrey Marshall and his work at jmarshbks.com. Well, hi, Jeffrey. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live.
1: I'm delighted to be with you, Sherry.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm excited to learn more about your story. So I guess just to get us started, why don't you tell us what Squeeze Plays is about?
1: Well, it's variously labeled as a financial thriller, satire, and maybe a suspense production. I really consider it's kind of a contemporary morality tale. It involves a look at the uses and misuses of wealth and power. It's set in New York and London and involves principally three characters, a bank CEO, a tabloid publisher, both of those in New York, and a Russian oligarch who's headquartered in London. He becomes kind of a central bad actor in, in the story. And then I have a, my hero is really a financial journalist who gets wind of some of the things that are happening involving these characters, a loan that's been called, a financing that, that comes to fruition secretly. And he ties all this together in kind of what becomes a major front-page expose, and that kind of leaves all the three other characters in a bit of a bad light. But throughout the story, essentially, you know, really does look at the foibles and and some of the ways that power and wealth are used and misused.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking when you're talking, it, it does, it sounds like a ripped from the headlines kind of story. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, There is some of that, although I don't think, you know, we don't know much about Russian oligarchs. There's certainly, uh, you know, we hear a lot about them and their mega yachts and their helicopters and their possible ties to Putin. But all this that I came up with is kind of out of my own imagination. Ah. I don't didn't do any research about it.
0: Ah, okay. All right. You know, I love the title, Squeeze Plays. Tell, what does that represent? There, if you
1: look on Amazon, there are a lot of books called Squeeze Play, and some of those are probably baseball related. But a squeeze play is is a pressure, pressure whether it's blackmail, a sabotage, a financial pressure of one kind or another. And since there are a number of them throughout the story, it just seemed like a good title to me. It really kind of encapsulates it.
0: Yeah, just adding that extra S on the end to make it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what did inspire the storyline?
1: Well, it's an interesting, uh, my wife actually said to me at one point, I'd written two novels and I was casting around for an idea for a third, and she said, why don't you write about Bob? Bob was just an amazing character. He was a journalist that I worked for in New York, financial journalist. And he's depicted very closely in the book. He's he's kind of a, a mad character who's got a very low boiling point. <laughs> and he's someone who, you know, you, you wouldn't look at this person and think, well, you know, there's there's a great journalist. But he, he had a certain way about him. He was very, uh, not only very forceful, but very resourceful. And um, but he, he had a major downside, his temper and mm. what he carried on with with uh, people and with sources, and so he becomes the sort of the central character in terms of unraveling this story, and I think that, uh, you know, it kind of works into my own history as a financial journalist, trying to dig out the way the things happen, the way a lot of things are concealed, and, and Bob does a lot of that in this story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was I was thinking that the financial reporter was about you. So no,
1: not uh, no. It, it wasn't me. Uh, he's he's not really uh, an equivalent, but he's probably about as something of an alter ego. I, I'll admit that. Sure.
0: <laughs> you mentioned the financial hubs, New York and London. What prompted that decision to set your story in those two well, cities? I think it's,
1: I think there's a very interesting dynamic of different. Places, you know, they're the two financial capitals of the world. I mean, you could argue that maybe Singapore or Tokyo has a place in that. But, Hmm. um, you know, there's it it becomes kind of a a central conflict, certainly in the original part. The first part of the story is the the fact that the bank CEO is in New York, but the chairman is in London and they have their different ways of doing things.
0: Hmm.
1: And it becomes something of an issue that the ceo in new york is trying to deal with and they have different cultures i mean the you know new york is i think much more of a frenetic place london is a little more laid back and then you come into the whole area of uh, bond street in in london and kind of the works into the the english aristocracy and so there are elements of that that i wanted to get into the book
0: now i know there are going to be people that disagree with me but i think finance is such a complex world (laughs) So yeah, it is. And it kind of makes my head spin if I think too much about (laughs) it. But how did you go about making the story engaging and accessible to a wide readership or or readers like me?
1: (laughs) Well, I think the main thing I did was I didn't go deep into the weeds. Mm. I mean, this is not a book about trying to understand the intricacies of finance, really dealing with some very, very basic elements like lending, the fact that this loan has been denied, who gets involved with that? Merchant bankers, and then there's the issue of things like the oligarch buys a great deal of the stock on the open market, and that allows him to put pressure on the bank. So there are kind of basic tenets of finance that are in there, but nothing that, you know, smacks of you know getting a degree in accounting or being a CFO or anything of that
0: nature. Right, right. And then I guess there's the balance of the tabloid in- industry, and, the- and then the Russian influence as well. So.
1: Yeah. Yes, and, and we can certainly talk about the, the media and the, and the uh, newspaper industry, which I was a part of for many years. And uh, unfortunately, is you know, I don't need to tell you, journalism is in a pretty bad state right now. Print journalism, especially.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned your experience in the journalism field. So how much influence did your background have on the story?
1: A, a great deal, The last 25 years of my career were in in financial journalism, banking and finance. And that may sound very narrow, but there was a lot going on. There was a lot of personalities. There are mergers. The banking industry consolidated an enormous amount. And then, you know, the whole issue of uh, leverage buyouts and all that. Now, I didn't get into that with this story, but Mm. there there was a great deal of ferment going on in the 80s and 90s. in in finance. A lot of that is kind of carried over. You know, we we certainly had our problems in 2008 with, you know, the Great Recession. A lot of that was caused by excesses in finance, of course. But so my career was generally kind of a, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal religiously every day. So I kind of had a, a broader background than it might be suggested by just talking about kind of banking and the related aspects of finance.
0: Right, right. Now, let's talk about some of your characters. I'm kind of a character-driven gal.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a, and this is a character-driven story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you have two powerful men at the top, you know, a bank CEO, New York tabloid publisher, as you mentioned. How mm-hmm. did you develop their dynamics and, and their conflicting interests?
1: Yeah, certainly the bank CEO, is. he was my probably my, my most sympathetic character. He's somebody who clearly rose on his merits he had an Ivy League background a long background with a major bank in New York he's smart he's sophisticated and he's, he's just kind of a nice guy who has done well mm. then again he gets involved with some some nefarious stuff later on but the tabloid publisher is very different he's someone who basically came into this as, as a family sinecure he's really lazy, not very principled, doesn't have a great deal to offer, but he's the chairman of this company. And in some ways, I guess you could say that I modeled him somewhat on our most current former president.
0: Interesting. (laughs) Well, I'll just leave that there. But speaking of antagonists, let's talk a little bit about yours. He's a Russian oligarch and kind of under the guise of a, a financial savior. And that's kind of a different twist. So what led you to incorporate this character?
1: You know, as I started thinking about the novel, I knew I needed a kind of a a villain. And what better villainy than coming from Russia? Mm. I mean, and and someone who possibly has some contacts to the government. It's not, you know, I don't spell that out. You know, it's not necessary. But, you know, I think these people, these oligarchs have found a way to can sort of inveigle themselves into the top, you know, levels of, of finance around the world. Many of them are very clever. They're, a lot of them are now based in London and that's where I base this character. And it seems like they're always looking for an angle. I mean, they're, they're buying sports teams or this or that. Uh, my guy is, is buying real estate, he's buying tech companies in various places around the world. And he's really trying to make a a bigger beachhead in New York. So that becomes the central focus of a lot of what he's up to in the story.
0: Mm. Now, your hero, as you mentioned, is a financial reporter, and he is the star. He uncovers the deeper story. You have uh, three strong male characters in your story. There's also a mention of, of some strong and principled female characters. Share more about their role.
1: I would focus on the world principle. Let me talk about the two principal ones. One is the wife of the tabloid publisher. She's a well-known designer, famous designer, has her own line. Mm. So she's a businesswoman and she's quite astute. She has a daughter who's a freshman in college and she basically is something of a countervailing balance on, on her husband. I mean, she's Constantly either kind of rolling her eyes or chiding him a little bit about his excesses or his failings. And, uh, you know, he understands where she's coming from. So she's kind of, a, as I say, a bit of a counterweight. Mm. And the other character is a Russian who's working for the oligarch. And she becomes kind of his go to sexual bait for his sexual blackmail. Mm. But she's more than that. And you know, she's, she's very smart. She's a business analyst who works primarily in London, and is brought to New York for this escapade. But then she kind of turns the needle back onto the oligarch. And that becomes kind of a, a major twist in the story.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Did you have any trouble writing from a woman's perspective? Was there any difference at all?
1: I I don't think so. Um, I mean, I I guess, you know, and we get into the whole issue of of POV point of view, and most of this was kind of more omniscient. I didn't really take, you know, it wasn't written from the woman's perspective per se, but uh, honestly, Sherry, I don't think there was anything that really could be construed as, you know, did I deliberately kind of look at this in it coming from a different voice from a different perspective?
0: Mm, Okay. All right. I, I just, I wonder about that sometimes. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, men have been writing about women for centuries. They're, they're yeah. you know. <laughs> and you know.
1: probably not always well, I'm
0: sure <laughs> So I don't know why that question is so curious to me. But <laughs> 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 so, That's a valid question. Now, you talked a little bit about sexual blackmail, and, and so that's kind of a, I guess, the more scandalous side of the story. Yeah, that's
1: kind of the, the most scandalous or dangerous element in this. I mean, I guess I, I go back to you know, a lot of the novels that I read, where you know, there's not a lot of a great deal of sex in this book, and certainly not described very carefully or you know elaborately, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think it brings a certain amount of spice, and it certainly would be a cause for blackmail, and and it was in this case. So it, it just I kind of maybe it got back to my reading of James Bond and some of some of the related kind of stories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I always think it adds a little, a nice little, like you said, spice to it. So, yeah Yeah. without going into detail, because there's really no need. I mean, unless yeah, that's I mean, the point, you know. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So we talked a lot about characters and actually it, it got me thinking about the actual writing of the story and how your characters got along, so to speak, with the plot you devised. Did, did they ever mm-hmm. take off in ways you hadn't planned?
1: That's a good question. Yeah, I, I think I developed this kind of reverse blackmail that takes place later in the novel after kind of thinking about, well, what about this? What This would be an interesting twist. So that's where the, the woman uh, lieutenant of the oligarch gets involved with maybe saying, oh, wait, wait a minute, maybe, maybe you can do this to him and kind of reverse this blackmail that he's put on you.
0: Mm, mm-hmm so does that kind of mess up your outline or do you use an outline
1: i've had some interesting conversations on interviews and podcasts about this i'm very definitely what they call a pantser Mm. uh, seat of the pants i am very much uh, against formal outlines and i think that goes back to my eighth grade english class where we were asked to do that yeah so i don't have a formal outline what i generally do is i kind of you know create some posted notes about things that I want to get to and decide when I want to get to them and it may be just a phrase or two just a central plot point and um so I kind of go from there the, you know I kind of hate to use the word organic but that's kind of the way that I see these novels coming together mm. uh they kind of develop themselves without you know obviously I'm I'm the puppeteer <laughs> right but, uh, And in fact, I rewrote the ending three times. So there's, you know, there's just no way that anything was ever set in stone. It kind of grew and took different directions.
0: Okay. All right. So your characters did drive a bit of the plot then probably. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Now with Squeeze Place, you mix some serious insight into wealth and power with some very humorous, satirical elements. How did you find the right balance between the two?
1: Well, I think it's kind of an open question of whether, you know, it's up to the reader to really decide whether how successful that is. But I really wanted to try to get a light touch to some of this. I mean, finance is obviously, you know, it's not a subject that a lot of people gravitate to. And I also was tremendously inspired by uh, Tom Wilson, Bonfire of the Vanities, a Mm. wonderful, amazing book about New York in the late 80s and the difficulties that, you know, people felt with money and power and Winston Crumb is the name of my publisher and he's the butt of a great deal of of the satire, but some of the other things that just about New York and sort of this upper-class mentality of, oh, you know, which, you know, Park Avenue whatever kind of worked into the story and that's kind of ripe sometimes for a little bit of Mm lighthearted humor.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's nice to break up the the serious elements, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I want to read to learn, but most of the time I want to read to be entertained. So You want to
1: be entertained. And I'm hoping that, you know, people that pick up this book, hopefully they'll learn something, particularly they don't know something about some of these basic financial things, but it's an entertainment at the end of the day.
0: Right. So what kind of feedback have you received on Squeeze Plays?
1: Well, I've got some wonderful reviews and being an indie author, I'm not, I haven't been reviewed by, you know, the huge publications, but I've got a, a lot of very nice professional reviews, most of them five star. And they kind of understand that, you know, this is a kind of a complicated novel that works on several different levels, including the satire. Mm-hmm. And those reviewers have been mostly very high on it. And I've been very gratified by that. And the, uh, the Amazon reviewers as well and some in Goodreads. I mean, I've been. Uh, so have certainly been gratified by the
0: response and hope there's more of it. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's great. So beyond the financial play and the character dynamics, is there a deeper message or commentary you hope to convey about the world of wealth and power and, and the media? Well, I think let me
1: start with the, the media, because I think I'd like to hope that certainly based on the way my novel develops, the media has a very important role to play in getting at some of the issues that wealth and power create, some of them are kind of nefarious and they're secret. And, you know, I think it's going to be more and more difficult for the media to kind of unravel some of these strands. Uh, But wealth and power are only being concentrated
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, around the world. Um, I think, you know, whether you look at, you know, the oligarchs or Rupert Murdoch or some of these conglomerates, I mean, that's kind of the world is is moving towards making things bigger and bolder, and that can carry some problems. And, and so that's kind of what I'm hinting at in, in the novel here, and basically in the form of the oligarch. But um, I think it's something that uh, the world is going to have to wrestle with in, in the next few generations.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a way to get back to balanced reporting?
1: Balanced in the sense of
0: of... Uh, just writing the news not the opinion about you know whatever side of the, the
1: yeah well i'd like to you know i guess my perspective on that is kind of anti but I, I grew up in an era when you know objectivity was really the, the, the goal and mm-hmm. then it was it, it was never frowned upon and now you know i think we i think social media and bloggers have really you know turned the tables in the last 20 years and it's become, and a lot. unfortunately a lot of the public has become much more skeptical of the news media because they do perceive it as being opinionated. And right. if it's opinionated in a way they don't like, they reject it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I would always argue that, you know, objectivity is crucial. The opinion belongs in the opinion pages. But, you know, that's pretty difficult when we've got 20 million people on Facebook every minute, you know, absorbing something else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Facebook is not news, folks. No. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are you working on now?
1: Well, I'm kind of twitched in between. I started another thriller, and Squeezes Plays is my third novel. They're all uh, independent of each other. There are no characters that carry over from one to another. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my take on, on writing novels. I, I think, you know, writing serials is... It's been very effective for many people. It's just, but it's not just what I wanted to do. So I'm I'm working on a thriller that takes place in Massachusetts. Uh, it's kind of about a woman who gets involved with a, a very serious problem. Uh, it's perceived as as an accident, but maybe it isn't. Mm. And um, and I'm kind of trying to develop a backstory for her and for her sister and for another character and. So it's going to have some family elements to it, but I'm, you know, I'm really not that far into it at this point. And you know, like as I say, as a pantser, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going next.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you take your time writing your novels?
1: I do. I, I wrote a lot during the pandemic. You know, it was a particularly good time for a writer. But I, uh, yeah, I take my time. And and at this point, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for inspiration and. That's kind of the way I work if I'm inspired or I, I can work in bursts and I'll go back and, and say, oh, well, I've got another idea for that or another sentence or another phrase. But right now I'm I'm kind of a, a bit of a, you know, just kind of waiting, waiting for that inspiration.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, one could argue that results in a better books. You're not on a deadline. We, okay. I got to get a novel out in a year. Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Now, you mentioned your two other novels. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those? Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: The first novel I wrote was a fictionalized version of the life of Annie Oakley, uh, taking it kind of episodically. And uh, I didn't want to write a biography. And, you know, fiction may be kind of a, a strong word for some. A great deal of of it was taken from the actual facts of her life. Yeah. But I kind of wrote around that. I kind of rift on it and i enjoyed doing that i didn't didn't have to do an enormous amount of research a lot of it was kind of you know structured around a few things that i read and i kind of just extrapolated on that oh wow and then the second book it's called undetected it's a psychological thriller and i started to write as a, a family dynamic and then it, i just couldn't really make that work that well i became really about a woman Who's got really a mysterious and dark past who marries into a new family in in Westchester county, New York, and she turns out to be a black widow mm. who has you know done some damage to a couple of husbands oh wow, and one of the family actually another another journalist who's kind of my alter ego in this case for sure kind of starts digging around, uses a private detective and makes some you know kind of startling uh findings about her and her past,
0: yeah. Well, I say write about what you know, right? So, exactly. yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting that, you know, your novels are all different. But it sounds like you're leaning towards the thriller genre. Yeah, you know,
1: I, I really do enjoy thrillers. And um, I don't know exactly why I gravitate to that. I have a hard time explaining it to you. But um, it it just seems to be a genre that uh, is kind of meant for me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a very popular genre. I and- yeah, you know. You know, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's good and bad, I guess. Huh? Right, right. <laughs> well, um, I guess based on your writing and publishing journey, what advice would you offer to aspiring authors, especially in the publishing world today?
1: Yeah, you know, there. You know, I've heard the statistic that perhaps there are a million self-published books being written every day, Ugh. or every year. I'm sorry, yeah. in the U.S. Um, it's very difficult to get an agent or to go through traditional publishing unless you've done exceptionally well in some sort of MFA class or you come to their attention somehow. So if you're talking about being a self-published author, which the vast, vast majority of us are, Mm -hmm. you've got to think about things like persistence. You know, writing a book takes a long time. It can take years. You know, you go at your own pace. I, I think people should read a lot and get comfortable with what the kind of voice that they want to create, the kind of characters they want to create. Uh, it's it's never easy, but you know, there there's so many. You know, some people may want to write romance. Some want to write horror. It really depends on kind of what you want. And I think it's important to get feedback, and not just from your your family or your friends, but get professional feedback. Get it from you know, somehow get involved with writing classes or professional editors, people who really can give you a good handle on what you're doing and how good it is. Mm-hmm. And don't necessarily be discouraged. I mean, look at all the stories we've heard about people who got 100 rejections and then got one agent, you know, and suddenly they have a, best, a bestseller. Right. Um, you know, lightning can strike. But uh, it's not an easy road, and and uh, you just got to be patient.
0: Yeah, yeah, and well, there's pros and cons to both roads for sure. Um, yes. But even with traditional publishing, you're still going to have to do a lot of your own marketing. So. Uh... Yeah,
1: marketing is is the hardest part for, and particularly for indie publishers, um, it's been very difficult for me. And you know, social media is is not a natural. Forum for a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of being out there all the time and promoting yourself. And, you know, if you have any inklings of modesty, and I do my, I know I do myself, you know, it's kind of hard to be out there blowing your horn all the time and, you know, oh, who's this guy?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and then they tell you, you know, okay, you have to do your own marketing, but, but don't necessarily blow your own horn because you don't want to sound like that guy that, yeah, you know, is just you, you pushing know, your, your, yeah, pushing I, your I book. haven't
1: found. <laughs> I haven't found that. And if you look at a lot of author forums, what they're doing is they're basically pushing their own books because that's what, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, it's about creating a brand. If you want to create a brand or certainly pushing sales because, you know, you're writing for an audience, not just for yourself.
0: Right. Well, Jeffrey, was there anything else you wanted to add today?
1: I would tell your readers they could find out more about the books And about me, if they're interested, on my website, which is jmarshbks.com.
0: Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live. And thank you for sharing more about you and your work.
1: It's been a pleasure, Sherry. Thanks again.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today for my interview with Jeffrey Marshall, author of Squeeze Plays. You can learn more about Jeffrey and his work at jmarshbks.com. And be sure and check out our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com.